Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. إن الحمد لله إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمدًا عبده ورسوله يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم وما يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله 
وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعاذنا الله وإياكم منها أجمعين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters The great Imam Ibn al-Muflih al-Hambari rahimahu Allah ta'ala has mentioned in his work Al-Adab al-Shari'ya that more than 5,000 people used to attend the lessons of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahimahullah. 5,000 people would regularly attend his lessons. And he says, less than 500 of those 5,000 would sit there to write down the hadith narrations. And the remaining 4,500 sitting in the gathering were there simply to observe and learn adab, manners, behavior, comportment. And prior to him, the great Imam Ibn al-Jawzi rahimahullah mentions in his Manaqib al-Imam Ahmad that a student of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Abu Bakr al-Matu'i said that I used to sit in the circle of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal for 12 years when he was teaching his Musnad hadith compilation to his children. And in all those 12 years, he said, I did not write down a single hadith. I was only there to observe the adab of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, his manners, his etiquette, his way of carrying himself. Dear brothers and sisters, this word adab is used quite frequently in the various languages that Muslims speak. Whether you speak Arabic or not, no matter where you're from, you've probably heard this word, and it's probably a part of your own vocabulary. It is a common Islamic word that everyone is familiar with. And adab is sometimes translated as manners, or as etiquette, or as comportment, or even good character, or propriety, and so on and so forth. But what does adab truly mean? Adab when we boil it down to its essence, adab is the proper way of doing things. The proper way of doing things. So, for example, there is the adab of hajj and umrah, meaning the proper way of carrying out the rites of hajj and umrah. There is the adab of mu'ashara, the adab of being married the proper way of living with one spouse. There's the adab of this, the adab of that. And adab is anything done in a proper and ordered way. So adab is doing things the right way, in the right manner, in the right proportion. Many of the ulama have said that adab is almost one-third of the entire deen of al-Islam. Meaning, when you look at everything that makes up this deen of al-Islam, almost one-third of it consists of adab, how you carry yourself in different times and places and situations. 
the great Imam Abu Bakr al-Dainawuri, rahimahullah, he said that those in the past who were elevated were not elevated due to an abundance of prayer or an abundance of fasting or an abundance of charity, but rather they were elevated because of their adab, their manners, their way, proper way of doing things, and their akhlaq, their character. So adab for us, dear brothers and sisters, is an integral part of developing a proper and holistic practice of this way of life we call al-Islam. And ideally, adab is acquired through upbringing and through observation, through companionship, through keeping the company of people of adab. As the great Imam Abu Madian said, that none of those who succeeded succeeded except bi-suhbati ahlil adab by keeping the company of those who have good adab. The beauty of a civilization, dear brothers and sisters, is manifested in the values and the manners embodied in the interactions its members have with one another. That is adab. But sadly, we are living in a time when adab is lacking in every level of society, where parents are consistently disrespected, where teachers are not given honor, where elders are not given their rights, and where the basic simple manners of things like eating and drinking and dressing and visiting people and conversation are not observed. That is the reality we are in in this day and age, dear brothers and sisters. And so sad is this predicament that books have to be written about adab. Books have to be written. Lectures have to be delivered in order to teach about the importance of adab and what it actually looks like. But traditionally, adab was not something formally taught. Traditionally, adab is not something you write in a book. Rather, adab was acquired and embodied through interaction between people, through mukhalata, through mixing with people of adab, through suhba, keeping their company. Dear brothers and sisters, when you hear this word adab, or the English version, manners or etiquette, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? You hear that word, what is the first thing that pops into your head when you hear manners? For many people, they hear the word manners or adab, and they think of pleasantries. They think of niceties. They think of perhaps even old English Victorian table manners. Don't put your elbows on the table. Hold your fork this way and your spoon that way. Hold your napkin this way. Don't eat and chew food at the same time, and so on and so forth. But that's not what we mean here by adab. What we mean by adab, dear brothers and sisters, is the ordered and proper way of behaving in any given situation. And it depends on the time, the place, and the circumstances. Good adab when you are with your family is not the same kind of adab you would have when you were in public. And the kind of adab you have in a public setting will be different from the adab you have when you are with your wife and children. It all depends on the circumstances. It is very important that we talk about adab and remind ourselves about the importance 
of learning and building it within ourselves and communities. Because when we reflect on the roots of adab and its importance, we see that the actions of a Muslim can be wiped out and nullified entirely just through certain breaches of adab. And we see an example of this in the Qur'an. In Surah Al-Hujarat, Allah Ta'ala addresses the companions and says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَرْفَعُوا أَصْوَاتَكُمْ فَوْقَ صَوْتِ النَّبِيِّ وَلَا تَجَهَرُوا لَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ كَجَهْرِ بَعْضِكُمْ لِبَعْضِ أَنْ تَحْبَطَ أَعْمَالُكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ He addresses the believers, saying, O oh, you who believe, do not raise your voices above the voice of the Prophet, and do not speak loudly, aloud to him, in the way that you speak to one another. And Lest your deeds are wiped away, nullified, and you don't even perceive it. Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, mentions in his Sahih from Abdullah bin Zubair, who said about this ayah, whenever Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu wanted to speak with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he would speak with whispers. To the point that sometimes the Prophet ﷺ could barely hear what he was saying and would ask him to repeat the word. He heard the, the verse of Allah Ta'ala addressing the warning from breaching the adab with the Prophet ﷺ. So he would speak in whispers when addressing Rasulullah ﷺ. Such was his eagerness to abide by the adab of conversation lest his good deeds be nullified and rejected by Allah Ta'ala. Dear brothers and sisters, when we talk about adab and breaches of adab, we have to understand something really important. Many of the Muslims today, and especially the youth, are not necessarily ill-mannered and lacking adab because they are purposely, intentionally failing to abide by basic Islamic manners. No, the reason why is because they are simply ignorant of what good manners entails. They don't know that this thing is a breach of adab. They haven't been taught. Why haven't they been taught? Maybe because they haven't been seeing it around them. So we have to remind ourselves of adab time and time again. And in the next couple of weeks, inshallah, we want to look at adab and how it is reflected in our different circumstances. But today we want to start with a particular instructional hadith that teaches us the foundations of adab. Rasulullah said in the hadith, Adabani Rabbi fa'ahsana ta'dibi. He says, My Lord instilled me with adab and excelled in doing so. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the adab to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam that he in turn transmitted to us. So every moment of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam was a teaching moment, teaching us adab in every aspect of life. However, in one curious incident, we are taught adab by the angel Jibreel alayhi salam. And that instruction took place 
as is recorded in the famous narration known as the Hadith of Jibreel alayhi salam, what the scholars call Ummul Hadith, or the core or quintessence or font of the Hadith, because it sets a scene for what Muslims are required to know and practice, as well as the basic adab of seeking knowledge and behaving. And in this long hadith, we will only focus on the first part, which is how the angel Jibreel appeared and behaved in that gathering and the lessons we can derive from that. In this lengthy hadith from Sayyidina Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu, he relates that one day they were inside of the masjid, sitting in the company of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa when there appeared before them a man. So this is the angel Jibreel. We know that now, but they didn't know it then. He was in a human form. He says, he, there appeared before us a man with intensely dark hair, with intensely white clothing, and no sign of travel on him. And none of us knew him. We know who this unknown person is now. We know that it's Jibreel taking on a human form. But since the entire incident took place without them knowing, they're receiving a dars, a lesson on adab. And we learn from his behavior and how he carried himself. So, first and foremost, we see that Jibreel alayhi salam is coming to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa as a student. Allah Ta'ala gave Jibreel the Qur'an to transmit to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and Allah says about Jibreel alayhi salam, عَلَّمَهُ شَدِيدُ الْقُوَىٰ He was taught, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, by one of intense power. Yet here the teacher comes as a learner. So he comes in. And he comes into this gathering in the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with certain iconic attributes that teach us ideals of adab for anyone seeking to learn and grow. So Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu says, he came in and he's wearing exceedingly white clothing. We have a lesson right there. He's wearing very white clothing. The ulama say that him wearing exceedingly white clothing represents outward and inward purity, outward and inward cleanliness. When you're seeking to grow, when you're seeking to learn that you have to come with some measure of cleanliness. And intensely white clothing symbolizes a clean, pure intention. It symbolizes a person coming without baggage, without clutter. It points to sincerity. It points to honesty. So if a person has baggage, they're going to be hindered. If they come with preconceived notions, they're polluted by ideas. Their cup is full. They can't learn. They have to cleanse themselves of preconceived notions. They have to ready themselves and purify themselves to be ready to receive the transmission, to be ready to receive the knowledge from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. And so Sayyidina Umar says he had exceedingly white clothing and he had extremely dark hair. This was strange for them to see. Because he was a stranger. He had exceedingly dark hair. And some of the ulama say that this indicates that Jibreel 
came with a very youthful appearance because he didn't have any gray hairs. He came in with very dark hair indicating a youthful appearance. And the lesson here that we can derive is that it is very important for a person to seek proper Islamic knowledge early on in their life when they're still young and not wait until they're older when they think they're going to have free time. Start young. However, when you look at the reality, it's quite ajib, it's quite amazing because was Jibreel a young man? He came in this gathering with very white clothing and very dark hair. He looks like a young man, but was Jibreel a young man? In reality, he is a very ancient angel. The archangel, Jibreel, Gabriel, he's not young. He's very old, thousands and thousands of years old. Yet, he comes here looking like a young man. And for this reason, some of the scholars say that if you apply yourself sincerely to learning adab, to learning the deen of Allah Ta'ala, to growing yourself Islamically, it will give you some measure of youthfulness in your life, even if you're old. Even if you are elderly, it doesn't matter how old you are, if you apply yourself to study and learn the deen of Allah properly, it will give you some measure of youthfulness. It's never too late. Committing to a program to build your Islamic literacy will impact you and give you some youthfulness. So he has a very white clothing. He has very dark hair. And then Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu says, لا يرى عليه أثر السفر. No trace of travel could be seen on him. You see, the companions found it very strange that this man, this mysterious man, comes in. No one knows who he is. But it doesn't make sense. Because if he's a stranger, that means he came from out of town. In Medina at that time, everyone knew everyone. It was a small town. So if he came as a stranger, he's coming from out of town. But if he's coming from out of town, he traveled by foot or on camel. Either way, he's arriving in Medina, he should be dusty. He should be a little bit dirty from the dirt and the dust and the sand and traveling all those miles to get to Medina. Yet he's not entering with disheveled hair from a long and weary journey. He's not coming in with dusty clothes from a long trip. He comes in looking fresh and clean as if he lives in Medina, as if he just came from his house with a fresh set of clothes and he cleaned himself and combed his hair. It's very odd to them. How can he be a stranger yet he looks the way he looks? There was no sign of travel. And there's a lesson in Adab from this too. One of the lessons of Adab we get from this statement of Umar radiallahu anhu is that we should have some readiness and energy to seek what Allah seeks from us. Jibreel is teaching the community not just in the questions and the answers. He's teaching the community even through how he's dressed, even through how he's carrying himself, teaching us that if you want to learn, if you want to grow in your deen, you have to prepare yourself. You have to, be, you have to, you have to ready yourself and bring some attention and energy to this that you're applying yourself to. So then, after Umar radiallahu anhu describes him with exceedingly white clothes, with exceedingly dark hair, with no sign of travel upon him, 
and saying none of us knew him. He says that none of us recognized him, none of us knew him, yet you see that despite his status as a stranger, no one tried to stop him. No one tried to stop him. In fact, when he came into the masjid, he entered as this mysterious figure, and he sat right in front of the Prophet And some of the ulama derive from this a very important lesson, that a true seeker of the inheritance of the Prophet a true seeker of knowledge will get access to the Prophet that others don't get access to. When you prepare yourself spiritually, when you make yourself ready and you have the proper mindset when trying to learn and grow in your deen, you will get access to the knowledge of Rasulullah his inheritance in a way that others won't get access to if they're lacking in that readiness, if they're lacking in that adab. You get access sitting as Jibreel salam sits right in front of him. So Jibreel salam in this mysterious form as a strange man, he comes into the masjid and he sits right in front of the Prophet The hadith mentions, Asnada rukbatayhi ila rukbatay. He placed his knees directly adjacent or next to the knees of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Then it says he placed his hands on his thighs. Can be read in two different ways. Depending on the way you read the pronoun, the damir. Either it means Jibreel alayhi salam sat down with his knees next to the knees of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam and placed his own hands on his own thighs. Yani Jibreel alayhi salam placed his hands on his thighs. Or it can mean he placed his hands on the thighs of the Prophet And it's beautiful when you imagine that he's granted such access that he can sit right in front of him and place his hands directly on the thighs of the Prophet this is an unprecedented level of access given to a stranger whom no one in the community recognized. So he sits down like this. And the manner of sitting is also instructional. Because the way he sat down is exactly the way we sit when we are sitting in salat, in our sitting, our jalsa, in our tashahud. So when you are in salat, you are sitting in this jibrili kind of posture when you are in prayer, you're sitting in the best way a person can sit while showing adab. The tashahud posture, the jalsa in salat, represents the highest ideal way of sitting before someone, and it is the mark of adab. So he places his hands either on his own thighs or the thighs of the Prophet There's a lesson in that too. Whether he puts it on his own thighs or the thighs of the Prophet ﷺ, there's a lesson in adab. And that is his attention was completely focused on learning from the Prophet ﷺ. He was not occupied by anything else. He gave the Prophet ﷺ his full undivided attention. He didn't have his hands in his pockets. He wasn't fidgeting. 
he had his hands on his thighs or on the thighs of the Prophet ﷺ and he's standing this close to him, undivided attention. And that is the lesson for us. If we want to learn from the inheritance of the Prophet ﷺ, it requires our undivided attention. The ulama would say, if you give this knowledge some of yourself, they would say, if you give it all of yourself, in a'tayta kullak, in a'taytahu kullak, yu'atika ba'da. If you give yourself all to it, it will give you some. And if you give some of yourself to it, la yu'atika shay'a. It will not give you anything. It requires undivided attention, focus, himma, drive, resolve. And that's what we see in the posture of Jibreel alayhi salam. After all of this, they see him come in, they see his appearance, they see his manner of sitting and placing his hands. After all of this, Jibreel asks those important questions about Islam and Iman and Ihsan and the last day and the signs of the last day. So this scene in the hadith gives us the essential elements that have to be embodied on the journey of seeking truth to discover what our deen is all about. As you see, it all starts with adab. And as we said before, adab is often translated as manners or as etiquette, but its true essence is excellence. Pursuing things in the best possible way, beautifying the body and the soul, and removing from oneself all of the impediments to truly benefiting. Now before Allah Ta'ala had honored Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam with the Qur'an, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam underwent 40 years of development, 40 years of being refined further and further. As the ulama say, tuhran ala tuhr, purity upon purity, purity upon purity, 40 years of being refined and readied until finally Allah Ta'ala revealed the Qur'an to his blessed heart, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. And it is in that context of 40 years of receiving that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam said, Addabani Rabbi fa'ahsana ta'deebi My Lord instilled me with adab and excelled therein. Dear brothers and sisters, if this the best of Allah's creation, sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, whom Allah preserved from all sins and blemishes, if he underwent this constant ascension and refining from one perfection to the other, being instilled with adab by his Lord, then what about us? What about us? What about his followers? Don't we owe it to ourselves to take drinks from that deep ocean of the prophetic adab and instill that in ourselves. We owe it to ourselves to take from that inheritance. When Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu would sometimes walk through the streets of Medina, he would sometimes go around in the sulk and say, the inheritance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is being divided up inside of the masjid right now. And people who don't know any better thought that it was wealth. Dinars and dirhams and things like that. 
So some people began to follow Abu Huraira until they go into the masjid. And when they go inside, they see some people in salat, some people in dhikr, some people reciting Qur'an, some people memorizing the Qur'an, some people learning fiqh from the sahaba. And they said, where is the inheritance? I thought you said there was inheritance. And they thought it was gold and silver. And Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu said, here it is. This is the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because he says that we, the community of the prophets, we do not bequeath dinar nor dirham. Rather what we bequeath is knowledge, sacred knowledge. So whoever takes that sacred knowledge, then they have taken of the loftiest share. Al-Hadhul Wafir. This is the adab that we have to seek, dear brothers and sisters. And we see from the hadith of Jibreel that it is approached with sincerity, removing baggage and preconceived notions. It is approached by ideally starting as early as possible. It is approached by coming with himma and energy and having an undivided attention and seeking access to that prophetic inheritance. And sincerity of purpose. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instill us with adab and make us people of adab, people who take the prophetic guidance of manners, of etiquette, of propriety, of carrying ourselves in a way that makes our Prophet proud. Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallam. Ameen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam wa ba'd. Dear brothers and sisters, there are other lessons of adab that we can extract from this famous hadith of Jibreel. Something else that we see in this hadith of Jibreel is the adab of humility, the manners and etiquette of being humble. Picture this scene. Imagine yourself as if you were there. Picture the companions sitting on the bare carpetless floor of the masjid of the Prophet And imagine how they might have felt as they saw this stranger entering with his questions. Picture how quietly and how humbly the companions observed all of this going on without interrupting, without cutting anyone off, without interjecting. That was their adab. They remained completely silent, observing this transaction this interaction between Jibreel and Rasulullah Not only that, after this interaction took place and Jibreel stood up and left, the Sahaba didn't even ask who it was. They waited silently, quietly waiting to receive that knowledge directly from the Prophet They didn't blurt out, Man hadha? Who is this? They waited for him. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu says that we remain for many moments, long moments, without saying anything until the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa asked us a question. Atadri man sail Do you know who the questioner was? And the companion said, Allahu wa rasuluhu a'lam. Allah and his messenger know best. 
And after that, the Prophet says, هذا جبريل آتاكم ليعلمكم دينكم That was Jibreel who came to teach you your religion. And what he taught us was not just in the questions, but it was in how he dressed. It was how he carried himself. It was how he sat before the Prophet ﷺ, teaching us not just the content of the deen, but also the adab of how we carry ourselves as Muslims. Look at the humility with which Jibreel sat before the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ says that if a person humbles himself, رَفَعَهُ Allah. Allah will raise that person and he indicated with his hand like this. رَفَعَهُ Allah. Allah will elevate that person. And if a person is low, if they're arrogant, Allah will humiliate them and he lowers his hand. So the greatest impediment to this adab, to this knowledge, is arrogance, is pride, is thinking, I already know everything. What do I need? I'm good. That is the biggest impediment to learning. It is not having the adab of tawadr, of humility. Jibreel humbled himself. He humbled himself to learn and instruct others. Are we greater than Jibreel that we cannot humble ourselves before the Prophet ﷺ and what he brought? We also learn from this hadith, dear brothers and sisters, the etiquette, the adab of questioning, of asking questions. You see, Jibreel ﷺ already knew the answers to these questions he's asking. But he is asking these questions because through asking them, it gets the attention of everyone else. They want to hear the answers. That is a teaching method. And so the Prophet ﷺ answered the questions that he asked. And subhanAllah, there are people, alhamdulillah, in our community who come to the classes and sometimes they ask questions and they already know the answers. But they ask the questions for the benefit of those who are here who may not know the answer or those who are viewing online who may not know the answer. So that practice of asking questions whose answers you already know, asking them for the intention of others benefiting, that is the way of Jibreel alayhi salam. And we learn that in this hadith. We also see an adab in asking questions. The adab of asking questions is to ask the questions that are most pertinent, to ask the proper questions, the questions that are actually going to benefit, the questions that are relevant, not asking needless questions. The Sahaba weren't even asking any questions until the Prophet ﷺ asked his own question, do you know who the questioner was? And they're practicing in this the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ who says, مِنْ حُسْنِ إِسْلَامِ الْمَرْءِ تَرْكُهُ مَا لَا يَعْنِي From the beauty of someone's Islam is leaving what doesn't concern them. So they would only ask what is most pertinent. And lastly, dear brothers and sisters, of the many lessons of, ad, of adab that we derive from the hadith of Jibreel is how we deal with strangers in our community. How we deal with people who are recent residents, people who have moved recently to our community, who appear for the first time and we've never seen them before. We draw a lesson from this hadith. He is no stranger to the Prophet 
But in this human form, the angel Jibreel was a stranger to all of the other Sahaba. But look at how much care and how much respect they had. They did not make this stranger feel like he is an outsider. They gave him this access to sit directly in front of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He was not escorted to the back. He was not left to sit by the sidelines. He was given direct access to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. There's a lesson in that for how we deal with people who are quote unquote outsiders in our community. Our public gatherings in the house of Allah should ensure that we bring people close, even if we don't know them, who may be visiting for the first time. The Prophet ﷺ says that one of the signs of the hour, one of the signs of the day of judgment, is that a person will only give salams to someone they know. How many times have you encountered this to your brothers and sisters? You see a Muslim you don't know, you see them in public, you give them salams and there's no response. It's as if they only reserve their salams for their friends, for their family, for their acquaintances that they know. And because they don't know you, no salams for you. That is not the way of Rasulullah The way of the Prophet is to spread the salams the ones you know and the ones you don't know. And we see the welcoming etiquette of the Sahaba to Jibreel who at that moment they didn't know was Jibreel, yet they gave him respect. And there's a lesson in that too. Sometimes we don't know who people are, and maybe we don't show adab towards them. And then we find out later, oh, that's an important person. And then we want to act really nice to them afterwards, once we found out they're an important person. Where was that adab before you found out they were important? Where was that manner of interacting before you knew who they were? They didn't have good adab only after they found out it was Jibreel. They had good adab even before because that is what they received from the Prophet ﷺ. We learn from this also the importance of learning as a community, of sitting in the gatherings together. Whenever we make dua, we make a dua in the collective sense. Just as we pray when we recite Surah Al-Fatiha, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ we don't say, Iyaka a'budu wa iyaka asta'in ana. You say, we. we you, you alone do we worship. And in you alone do we seek help. We, as the jama'ah. Allah Ta'ala says to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, وَاصْبِرْ نَفْسَكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ رَبَّهُمْ بِالْغَدَاتِ وَالْعَشِيِّ يُرِيدُونَ وَجْهَةً Be patient. Keep yourself patient with those who call upon their Lord in the morning and the evening seeking his countenance. This deen is a social deen, dear brothers and sisters. And it is learned ideally in a social setting because this is a deen of jama'ah. A person can learn their deen online, yes. But that is tayammum when a person doesn't have water. If you have water, you don't make tayammum. Likewise, if you have gatherings of knowledge where you can attend physically, that is the ideal because it is in those gatherings where the rahmah of Allah descends, where the angels descend, where the sakinah envelops those who are gathering, where they're enveloped in mercy and tranquility from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These, dear brothers and sisters, are just some of the basic adab we can learn from the hadith of Jibreel. He was clean, he was calm, he was collected, he was focused, 
And these are the kinds of adab we must bring when we come to the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah instill all of us with adab and remind us of the adab of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah give us good character and give us these reminders and enable us to embody these teachings in our life publicly and privately. Ameen. ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد عبدك ورسولك النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا بقدر عظمة ذاتك في كل وقت وحين سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين وقوموا إلى صلاتكم يرحمكم الله